Hey guys, it's your host Sam Thornton. Before this episode begins, I wanted to promote the DL Sports Instagram page. The page has a wide variety of sports content with graphics, reels, highlights, and more. So before this episode begins, what I want you guys to do is go ahead, pull out your phone, and follow the Instagram page at DLSportsCom. That's at DLSportsCom. Thanks guys, and enjoy the show. On today's episode of On the DL Podcast, we have a special guest, Alex Anstead. He is the social media manager for the Saturday Down South Podcast. Terrific podcast. Go check it out sometime. We discuss the upcoming SEC football season. We have college football week zero recap. We finally got to watch some college football for the first time in six months. It was nothing short of amazing. We have Kevin Durant news. He decides to remain in Brooklyn. I'm going to break that news down for you guys. And finally, we have the return of the betting tavern with a full slate of college football games coming up this weekend for week one of college football. As always, we have a lot to get into, so let's not waste any time and jump right into this episode. Welcome to episode number nine of On the DL Podcast, and the Nebraska Cornhuskers are still the biggest disappointment in college football. Before we get into that game, let's just all take a moment and exhale because we finally, after six months of patience, got to enjoy football on our TV screens. So give yourself a pat on the back. We finally made it. Bring it in. Big group hug. I understand week zero. It's just a tease for the huge slate of games coming up next week for week one. But still, it was just an amazing feeling to be able to see teams compete, even if it's just low-tier programs competing against each other. Football is football, and I'll take that any day of the week. Let's start with the best game of the day. It was Nebraska and Northwestern playing each other in Dublin, Ireland. Super cool atmosphere. I believe this was the first time two college teams have clashed in Dublin. I don't have a fact checked on that, but we're just going to roll with it and say it was the first time that a game has been played in Ireland on the college level. Nothing but a classic, gritty Big Ten matchup to start the season right off. The Nebraska fans showed up in full throttle forces. They had a sea of red in the stands. They had a massive snake cup going on until Scott Frost ruined everything with probably one of the dumbest play calls I've ever seen in a long time. It was nothing but questionable and incompetent to go for an onside kick while you're up 11 points midway through the third quarter. You have all the momentum. I'm convinced he wanted everyone who bet Nebraska minus 11 to lose that day. If you did not watch the game, Nebraska was down going into the second half, and then everything just changed for Nebraska with an insane completion from quarterback Casey Thompson. It was like a Johnny Manziel-type scramble. It looked like he was going to throw the ball out of bounds, he was going sideline to sideline with a scramble, and then all of a sudden he finds an open receiver 40 yards down the field. Nebraska then goes down and scores to give them a slight lead. I think they were up probably four points after that play. Approximately a few plays later, Nebraska recovers a fumble after a huge hit from one of their defensive players, and then they march down the field and score another touchdown to go up 11 points. So you have a few crazy plays. The momentum is with you. And now you have a secure 11-point lead. What does Scott Frost decide to do after that? Goes for an onside kick, wants to recover the ball again, 
wants to keep the ball rolling. Why in any sort, any kind of situation, would you want to kick an onside kick here? It makes zero sense. You took control of this game. The fans are loud. They're hyped up. They're finally back in this game. They're not suffering. They have all the momentum with them. They think they're going to win this game. And then you decide to give Northwestern prime field position right on the 40-yard line. Just kick it deep. Just kick the ball deep and try to get a quick three and out. Your defense was just had a huge play, just had a huge hit, got you a fumble. You have to trust your defense there, not set them up for failure. Instead, the Wildcats go down with great field position and they score, which in terms give them momentum back in this game. And Nebraska goes on to lose 31-28. That now makes Nebraska 5-21 and in one-score games under Scott Frost. And I believe that Scott Frost's record in Nebraska is 15-30. and 30. This kind of play call is an obvious trend that has been constant during his time in Nebraska. Nebraska went 3-9 last season, but they covered the spread in almost every single game last year. They should have won six games last year. At least six. They gave away so many games that they could have won. They have talent too. It's not that the talent isn't there. They have guys transferring from Texas, Alabama, powerful top five universities. So it's not a question of talent. The talent is present on that roster. Even his recruiting is pretty good, especially through the transfer portal, with them getting players from schools like Texas, like Alabama. This falls 100% on Scott Frost. It's his play calling that has been in question ever since he got there. And I know he stepped down from being the OC, but newsflash Nebraska fans As long as he's there, you aren't going to have a winning season. Not in the Big Ten with that play calling. Maybe when you're at UCF, you could finesse bottom tier FBF defenses, but not in this environment, Scott. Not at all. And yes, I took Nebraska minus 11, so it was not an ideal way to kick off the year, but I did learn my lesson. Got caught up in the hype, thought to myself and others, Nebraska fan base, they're rolling deep in Ireland. It was nothing but red in that stadium, and they blew it away. Another game that got a lot of hype was Vanderbilt at Hawaii. Vandy 59, Hawaii 10. And now Vanderbilt is the best team in the nation after week zero. And this is so funny because I don't think I've ever witnessed in my existence of being a college football fan in my entire life, 22 years on this earth, I have never seen Vanderbilt score more than 25 points. I'm not even exaggerating either. I have never seen Bandy put up more than 25 points in a game. So many people were on Hawaii for this game. I almost fell into that trap of Hawaii spread plus seven because it's literally Vanderbilt. It shows you how low people think of Vandy's football program because Hawaii is one of the lowest profitable universities for football and athletics as a whole. This also goes to show you the engine of the SEC. Yes, I'm going to bring up the SEC in this situation. I'm going to bring them up in any situation I can. Yes, Vanderbilt was horrible. By far the worst team in the SEC. But if they played in the Big West, maybe even the Mountain West, with teams like Wyoming, Boise State, Utah State, they could compete for the championship. If you're one of those people who thinks, why is Vandy even in the SEC? Well, they have an outstanding baseball program, for one. They have a pretty decent basketball program. They're always going to be in the SEC as long as they're giving some competition in other sports that aren't just the Olympic-style sports. Along with the fact 
that Vandy was one of the first teams ever inducted in the SEC. So they're not going anywhere. Some other games that took place were Illinois and Wyoming. Illinois rolled them, and I thought that game would be closer. Honestly, I don't know anything about Wyoming. I don't know anything about that team. But you just think about Josh Allen. We know that Josh Allen on the Bills played for Wyoming. So you always think that they're pretty good. Not to mention they have pretty cool uniforms. Let's see what else. There was UNC. They won their opening game. Utah State ran into some trouble with UConn. That line for that game was absurd, but I think they ended up winning by 20 or so. They might have even covered that spread. I believe it was 24 and a half. This shows you that if Utah State struggled with UConn, they're going to be in for an absolute beating next week in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. The line is set at minus 40. We know this is going to be a blowout, but Alabama might shut them out. They might win by 50. That was it for week zero. It's a nice little tune-up to get you adjusted back in the swing of things. The slate for week one is absolutely incredible. We're going to look into the best games at the end of this episode during the betting tavern, so stay tuned for what I think about that slate of games. And Alex and I are going to talk a little bit about that week one games for SEC teams a little bit there as well. All right, guys, now let's get into our interview with Alex Anstead. Both of us are super excited for this SEC football season. College football is back officially week one, getting right into it, gotten to the details of the SEC conference, how everything's going to shape up, how we think the records are all going to shake out for all these teams, all of that good stuff for you guys. So without further delay, here is Alex Anstead. All right, everyone, we now welcome on a very special guest. It is the social media manager for the Saturday Down South podcast, Alex Anstead. Alex, thank you so much for joining the show. It's great to have you. I know you're ecstatic about this upcoming SEC football season and college football in general, but first, just give me your knee-jerk reaction from week zero of college football. Is it everything you hoped it would be? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on. And I would say the first thing that comes to mind to, for most people is Scott Frost. Um, Scott Frost is one of those guys, either love him or hate him. I think a lot of people like to see him fail. I wouldn't go that far, but I, I think it was just – Crazy to see another one of his, oh, I'm, my team looks better this year. Maybe it's promising. Nebraska fans are excited. You know, they're getting free beer in, in Ireland at the game. And then what do you know? He goes, kicks an onside kick up 11, you know, I think the third quarter. But that, that was the big thing that stood out. And then on the SEC side of things, I was pleasantly surprised with Vanderbilt and Mike Wright at quarterback. I think maybe they win an SEC game this year, which is sounds terrible. But for, for them, that's a huge step because as you know, the SEC is the best conference and they've been rough for a while, but those are kind of the two things that stood out most for me. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with all that. I think I did mention this on the podcast earlier, talked about it in depth, the Nebraska game, just, it's just so funny to dissect all of the Scott Frost drama. I mean, talk about a guy who comes in at Nebraska is trying to promise this program that he's going to turn things around continues to have play calling, you know, questionable play calling, steps down as OC, is now only in charge of special teams. Really, I mean, he's fully, fully in charge of the head coach, of course, but he's really taken a role in, I'm going to be the one to decide only the special team unit. And what, what happens? He, he messes up a play call, up 11, loses all the momentum, kicks an onside kick. What are you going to do, you know? Also, Vanderbilt, like you mentioned, I think was – a terrific, terrific game for them. I think a lot of people were on Hawaii early. 
before the game just because, you know, it's Vanderbilt. So I do think – I agree with you. I think they could win a game in the SEC this year. It, it, it could be possible. Their offense looked good. I know that's an area they struggle in. I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I don't remember a time that they've scored over 25 points in my existence here on earth. So that was good to see. Yeah, definitely. I agree with, I agree with that. I haven't seen them. I don't think I've, I don't remember them ever blowing anybody out, let alone 63 to 10. I know it was Hawaii, but this is Vanderbilt we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. For sure. There's so many incredible games on the slate coming up for week one. It's going to be a dream for college football fans like you and I, but really just sports fans across the nation. Alex, which game are you looking forward to the most that involves an SEC team? I'd probably go with, it's tough between Arkansas, Cincinnati, and Oregon, Georgia. I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably lean Oregon, Georgia, but I think that game's not going to be quite as close as Arkansas, Cincinnati, but yeah, I'd probably go Oregon, Oregon, Georgia, because it's just cool to see Bo Nix come back playing an SEC game again. And, you know, it's in Atlanta, so he's familiar with that area and, I'm sure he'll have his crew out there watching. And just in general, it'll be cool to see Dan Lanning play against his former team. Yeah, absolutely. I do have questions about Georgia. They seem to, you know, we know all the, the holes that they have in their defense. You mentioned that you think that game is going to be a little more lopsided than the Arkansas-Cincinnati game. And, and do you think that, you know, those holes are going to be able to be filled? Do you Do you feel like with all those players leaving the NFL draft, is that going to be something to keep an eye on? Or do you think it's just, you know, it's Georgia. It's one of those programs that just restocks and refires, reloads. It's always going to be good year in and year out through the recruiting. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I actually don't think it's going to be super lopsided. I just think Arkansas-Cincinnati could be like a three-point game, just a good back-and-forth game. I think Oregon is going to play better than people expect, and I, I do think it's going to show up that they did lose a lot of pieces on the Georgia defense. And I think Oregon's athletes line up as well as any team out West really could. I mean, you saw them against Ohio state last year, they went in and they looked like the better team the entire way, but um, I, I don't expect it to go like that, but I do think they're going to hang around at least early on. I think Georgia will pull away at the end. They're just, they're too deep overall with talent. And I think their offense is actually going to take a step up this year, but yeah, I think, like you said, they might have, I have some questions too. I'm not sure how good their defense is. I think I still think it's a top 10 defense. It's not going to be a historic defense. I think Alabama and Clemson have better defenses, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, for sure. And I'm also excited to see Bo Nix go back, play against familiar foes with the SEC. I am an Alabama fan, but I am excited to see what he can do on a new squad. I just feel like that game, that line is pretty high at 17 and a half. And I feel like Oregon, you're going up a team against Oregon, which historically has a, a pretty dynamic, versatile offense. And we saw that last year, like you said, with the Ohio State game. I just feel like that's going to be a hard first game. Even though you're in Atlanta, you're in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I just feel like that's a tough test first game of the year for that Georgia defense that, like I said, has so many different holes in it. Yeah, I agree. But I, I do think Oregon is one of those teams from out West. Oregon and Utah are like are the two teams out West that I would say are going to stack up the best and aren't going to shy away from that kind of competition. I would throw USC in there as well. Those are the really the top three out of the Pac-12 that are that are leading the charge. So I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. I'm not really sold on USC's defense yet. 
we'll see because it was really bad last year. Their offense is going to be really good. When you take a look at where we've been talking about the SEC, Georgia, the SEC is going to be the deepest conference in all the country like it always is. Everyone always says, you know, Alabama, Georgia, that's how it's looking to shape up this year. That's what the media is hyping it up to be. Alabama, Georgia, that's going to be the title game for sure. Do you think it's that simple or do you think a team like A&M or Arkansas, maybe even a team out of the East like Kentucky can come out of nowhere and make their way to the SEC championship game? Um, I don't know about the SEC championship game, but I do think it's going to be a little more than those teams cakewalking their way. Uh, Georgia has the easier schedule out of the two, but I could see Georgia losing a game, but it's hard for me to say that either team loses more than one game. And at that point, they're most likely both in this SEC championship game. Alabama has a few few games that are going to be tough, obviously. I don't I don't really think they'll struggle with AM. I'm not as high on AM as a lot of people are. I think that third best team in the SEC is either Tennessee, because I really like their offense, Kentucky. Those are those are kind of the two. Um, I also think Ole Miss is going to spoil a few people. I don't think they'll be as good as they were last year, but I, I don't know why nobody's talking about them. So mm-hmm. I do think it'll be the two as usual, which I'd like to see it shape up. I know you're an Alabama fan, but you'd probably like you'd probably like to see Georgia lose. But yeah, I, I think it'll be the two. Yeah, I agree. I think it do. I, I think it will be them in the end, and I think that a team like Georgia is always going to be in in the playoff picture throughout this season. You did mention A and M. They are getting a ton of hype this year. They're number six in the AP preseason poll. Do you feel like maybe this A&M team is finally going to turn the corner at some point, or do you feel like it's going to be another eight and four, eight and four, eight and four over these next three seasons? Like it seems where Jimbo Fisher's been the head coach there. Yeah, I think that they're definitely overrated in my opinion um, at six, six is that's a lot to back up for a team that just went eight and four and really has had one good year in the last three, four, five seasons. Um, but I, I do think they're they're probably an eight and four team this year. And not just because they're a normal eight and four team, their schedule's brutal. Um, the other team I forgot to mention that might actually be my third best team is Arkansas. I think I think Arkansas is a better team top to bottom than Texas AM. Uh, I think they have a better offense. Texas AM has a better defense, but I, I'm just not sold on Haynes King and that whole quarterback situation. I don't I don't see that offense being good enough to win more than eight and eight or nine games when they're playing all these good teams. Even a team like App State, Miami in the non-conference, those are those are rough. Yeah, as a fellow North Carolina native, you know how good App State can be. So watch out for that game yeah. for sure. Let's talk about Alabama. I've been on the record for saying that this Alabama team will be one of the best Alabama teams ever assembled. I do think they reflect a lot of the same attributes from the 2020 season, but with a better defense. And I think they could even end up being based on their tough road schedule, along with the obvious talent on the roster, one of the best teams in college football history. How special do you think this Alabama team is? Oh, they're definitely going to be special. Um, I would be absolutely shocked if they don't make the college football playoff, at least as a one-loss team, at the very least. Um, like you said, the defense is going to be – it could be one of Saban's best, if not the very best defense. Um, it's super deep, super talented. The D-line's good. Linebacker's obviously good. And then you obviously have the the Heisman Trophy winner from last year in Bryce Young. Obviously, he has to find – 
his new targets this year, he kind of has to gel with them because Jameson Williams and John Mechie were really good. And I think that showed in the national championship game. But yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing them not making the playoff. I have them right now beating Ohio State in the national championship. The only thing I kind of worry about, which is weird for Alabama, is the receiving core. Um, it's going to be good. I just don't see how it could be as good as last year. And I don't know. It just depends how Jermaine Burton fills in and Harold from Louisville. And they got, they got some good players. I'm just not completely sold on their receiving core. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the receiving core because the depth chart for Alabama's team came out yesterday. And like the, guy, the two guys you mentioned, transfers, you have Jermaine Burton, you have Harold, you have guys who, are, who have been on the team last year and Treshawn Holden, Ja'Cory Brooks. And those are two names that I think you need to keep an eye on because they are going to be the next Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, whatever you want to say, whoever you want to compare them to. They're going to be two of the next great Alabama-bred roster players who are going to step up for this team. And we saw Ja'Cory Brooks step up. I don't know if you remember that throw that Bryce Young gave to him and that forced overtime against Auburn when they were struggling late. But yeah. I feel like those are two players that you have to keep an eye on for sure. Not to mention you still have a good tight end room. You have Cameron Latou, who has been injured recently, but Saban said that he is going to be coming back. So I feel good about the... I know, I know a lot of the offensive weapons are new, and I think that's just where the, the transfer portal plays into the hands of Alabama, not to mention they got Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt. So I think they're going to be fine. And also another guy you have, to, you have to mention, of course, is Jameer Gibbs at the running back slot. I don't think anyone has questions about him, but I do think that this offense is going to be, you can't really say underrated because of how talented they are, but everybody's talking about their defense. So they're underrated with the whole squad, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm glad you mentioned Jameer Gibbs. I think he's going to be a top three running back in the country. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen highlights of him. He's ridiculously shifty. It's going to be tough to stop this year. Um, and then another guy I was kind of surprised to not be a starter on that depth chart was Ja'Cory Brooks. But I think that just shows he's, he's just a young player. He's still figuring it out. Those some of the transfers came in and are going to start right away, but I think he'll play plenty in, in some of those packages. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. And keeping on the topic of Alabama, I mentioned their tough road record that they're going to be enduring. Is there any games on this schedule where you think this might be the one that gets Alabama their one loss this season? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, I don't have their schedule pulled up right now, but I believe they go to Tennessee and Arkansas. Mm -hmm. and I think those are those two that are going to be the toughest. I think they mop the floor with Texas A&M after the whole offseason drama. And last year, I don't see that being competitive. But I think those are the two just because they're great environments. Tennessee's a big rivalry. It's been lopsided, obviously, as you know. But Hedden Hooker is going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And KJ Jefferson is going to be good, too. So I think it's going to have to be a team like that that can score with them. Um, but I, I just don't – it's hard for me to pick against them in any of these games, but I could see them dropping one. Yeah, I've I brought up games that worry me. And at first I was saying, you know, Texas week two, new environment, don't really know what they're getting themselves into here, not familiar with – maybe Texas's play style, the, the whole environment, just everything. Everything is new for them. So I was worried about that game initially, 
but I've changed my mind and decided that Arkansas is going to be the game, which I think is going to be toughest for them. And they're going through, I think they have Arkansas before A&M. I could be wrong, but I think those are back-to-back weeks. So they can't slip up and think ahead. Oh, we have, we have A&M next week. We have to just look forward to that. They got to, of course, stay on the track. And I'm glad you mentioned Tennessee because everybody's really high on Tennessee and they haven't been competitive and the rivalry with Alabama, like you mentioned, is not really existent currently. They haven't beaten Alabama in years. And really, all of those contests haven't been very close. So why do you think, I know you mentioned some of their players, but why do you think Tennessee is going to be good this season? And do you think that offense with those two players you mentioned are, is going to be able to compete against an Alabama defense? Yeah, I'm not completely sure. I think they showed some promise against Georgia's defense last year. Not enough, obviously. And Georgia's defense was ridiculous. But Alabama's defense could be up there like that this year. So that brings up a good point. I'm not I'm not sold on picking against Alabama in any of these games. I would have them at 12-0 and 0 for sure. But if anyone's going to do it, it's, it's going to be one of those teams with an offense. And I think Cedric Tillman is really good. Hendon Hooker is really good. I like their play calling. They're a fast offense. They're going to put up points. But like you said, I don't know how they fare against a team like Alabama. I don't think they do what they normally do, and I don't think their defense is good enough to stop Bryce Young. So it's just really hard to see them really competing the entire four quarters in, in one game like that. So I would still – I would say they're going to have a hard time, you know, moving the ball like that. Yeah, and I, I hope that – you know, teams like Tennessee, Ole Miss, I feel like those kind of teams, when they're competitive, makes college football just overall better. It's a lot more fun to watch, more competitive. And I'm just looking forward to see how they do this year. Let's shift gears to the AP poll. When you look at the top 15 of the AP poll preseason, were there any teams in there that you were, you know, thought to yourself, uh, this team is too high. Maybe even some of these teams are too low. And it doesn't have to be just SEC teams. It can be anyone here. Yeah, I think one that really stuck out. Well, first off, I talked about Texas A&M. I think they're too high. Um, another one is Notre Dame, who's actually a spot above Texas A&M, I believe, at five. And, I mean, they're a good, sound football team. But I think most people know the fifth best team in the country should be competing for a playoff spot. And I don't see them being that team this year. I don't by their offense whatsoever. I think they'll have a good defense, but you'll, I think we'll see against Ohio State in week one right away how good they are, but I have a feeling they could get embarrassed. And another one that sticks out is USC at 14. I mean, they're going to have a really good offense. I just don't know how any coach, even Nick Saban, could turn around that defense in one season. So I'm a little skeptical about them, but I do think they could win 10 games in the regular season. I just don't see them beating Utah, a more physical team. Um, and then Utah, I believe, was seven, maybe. I think they're a team. I have them in my playoff right now. I think they could sneak in just because the Pac-12 is weak. They have their whole team back, and I don't think they, they lost one game with Cam Rising at quarterback last year, and that was a shootout against Ohio State. So I think those are the three teams that really stick out to me. I also think Baylor could be good. That's my Big 12 champ. Um, and then my one other overrated overrated team which not a lot of people are talking about them as overrated is Oklahoma I just not sold on everything going on there they lost a lot of guys a lot of them went to USC actually 
Dylan Gabriel's good. Is he as good as a Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler? We'll see. I just don't see them coming in and, you know, winning the Big 12. I, I think they're a 10 and 2 team also, but I just don't, I don't see them being really a top 10 team the entire season. Yeah, I'm also glad you mentioned Oklahoma there because you talked about Baylor maybe sneaking in to your playoff. A lot, I saw a lot of other people had that too. Do you think that Venables is going to be the guy? for Oklahoma I know he's a defensive minded coach especially during his time at Clemson did a great job there with defenses there do you think that transitioning to the SEC once Oklahoma's in the SEC is you know long term is that the best coach to have over an offensive minded coach like Lincoln Riley we know he's at USC now um I think in their case Oklahoma's always known for offense I think they can figure that out so I would say yes he's a better fit long-term in the SEC than Lincoln Riley is. People talk about Lincoln Riley jumping away from the SEC. I don't know how much of that is true, um, but maybe he's smart to go away from that and he knew what was coming. But I would say Venables is a good option. I don't think Oklahoma is going to go into the SEC and run the table by any means. I think they'll be maybe a tier two or three team in the SEC behind Alabama, Georgia, and they'll be right there with Texas A&M, I think, and some of those upcoming programs. Um, I'm not sure where Texas will land, but yeah, I think, I think they'll be pretty set long-term. I just don't see them putting it all together this year. Yeah, I understand that. And Gabriel is a highly touted, everybody's talking about him. Everybody's talking about this quarterback. He might win the Heisman, yada, yada, yada. I was wondering, Alex, what are some hot takes you have for this upcoming season? Yeah, I think one of them I kind of mentioned was you, I have Utah in my playoff. I would consider that a hot take. I have Texas A&M going 500 in SEC play, which would be four and four. I think they just have too many tough tasks to, you know, have a great record in the SEC. And then I also have Clemson not winning the ACC. Um, a lot of people aren't going to like that one, but I just don't see how you can get past their offensive issues. And I think there's some other good teams like NC State and Pitt. And Wake Forest, when healthy, is good. And then Texas, I have them winning eight-plus games, I think, I thought I was thinking it's going to be either them or Nebraska makes an improvement, but after last week, I feel like you've got to go with Texas out of the two. And they were close a lot of games last year. Yes, they lost to Kansas, but they were usually competing in their losses. And I, I think they will score a little bit early on against Alabama, just because it's going to be like 105 degrees. Everyone's going to be cramping, but I think once people settle in, it's going to be one of those 62 to 21 games. I think they'll, score a little bit, but they're still going to get beaten pretty bad. And it still is a rebuilding process for them. So I'd say those are my five hot takes. Yeah. Where do you think Texas is going to finish in the big 12 and also just an overall look into Texas's future. Do you think that they're going to continue making these improvements? You know, we got the Arch Manning hype. You have Steve Sarkeesian as your head coach. Do you feel like it's only up from here or do you think it's going to plateau at some point? I think it has to go up. I think they're going to finish. I think fifth is a safe spot to say in the big 12, maybe fourth. If they play well. I think you got Baylor, Oklahoma state are my top two, then probably Oklahoma. And then after that, it's tough. It's between Texas, Kansas state, Texas tech could prove some people wrong this year. TCU could make an improvement. Um, Iowa state obviously has a good coach in Matt Campbell, but I, I, I think that they, 
will get better. I think they have to. When you have that much talent, you can recruit out of Texas. And they're moving to the SEC. They're going to get even better recruiting. So I do think they will improve. I'm not sure when they do plateau. I don't see them getting to the, the level of Alabama or Georgia. But realistically, there's only a few teams that can do that. So I think they can take that next step to get to maybe that tier two of college football, but I think that's kind of their peak. Yeah, I understand that for sure. And Texas is another one of those teams, as we all know, crazy fan base, great fans. It's just better when they're better. So hopefully yeah. they can also improve their status. Finally, last question for you, Alex. This has been great. Give me your thoughts on the CBS broadcast shifting to the Big Ten. That means the CBS jingle will now be for the Big Ten teams. Very weird, so I need to hear your reaction on that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I grew up a Big Ten fan, so you would think, like, oh, I must be excited. No, I, I don't I don't like this at all. I, I saw that montage that CBS posted of the Big Ten highlights during it, and I was like, I don't want to see Northwestern handing the ball off to the CBS themes, the theme show. So I, I don't know. I like the idea of expanding the big 10 as far as getting the conference better maybe not adding all these teams but i like you know trying to improve it any way you can whether it's tv deals whatnot but i don't really like the fact that they're taking the exact same theme song i think you do have to that's kind of a sacred song as you know as an sec fan and you kind of have to keep that with the sec and i think they should hang that up and maybe change it because from what i heard the big 10 is going to have their number two or three game of the week on CBS. It's not even going to be the number one game. So I think, I, I don't know what CBS is doing. I know the big 10 has bigger TV markets than the SEC, which is crazy because they have big cities, but I just, I just don't know how I feel about it. It's, I think we're just going to see a lot of change in general in college football. And we have to accept it at this point that it's all about the money. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a rabbit hole. We can go down some other time for sure. That's going to be super weird. That was kind of a slap in the face. I didn't even know that CBS was only going to be presenting their second or third best game for that broadcast. So that just makes it even worse for me. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to swallow when you can have the number one SEC game or you can have Purdue and Michigan State. Yeah, and it's going to be weird watching Alabama and Texas on Fox. I've never watched an Alabama game on Fox before, so I'm ready for that. Yeah, I, I actually think that'll be a little... That'll be kind of cool just to see like how Alabama fares in a Fox game. Obviously, they'll be the same team. It's just going to be interesting to see Gus Johnson screaming during an mm -hmm. Alabama game. Yeah, it, it, it does suck also that it's at 11 a.m. Central Time, big noon kickoff. Don't really understand that. I know that's their big block and their, their trademark thing. That's how they get viewers, you know, big noon, Sunday, uh, big noon Saturday. But we'll see. I'm excited for it. Obviously, very excited about that game. Yeah, me too. That'll... Uh, that's probably the game I'm most excited for outside of Notre Dame, Ohio State the first two weeks. Yeah, that's a great one as well. All right, Alex. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. You're welcome back on any time to talk college football. Guys, go make sure you follow Alex on Twitter and also make sure you follow and listen to the Saturday Down South podcast on Spotify. Alex, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Alex. Now we're going to completely shift gears and talk about Kevin Durant. KD has decided that he will remain in Brooklyn with the Nets after requesting a trade a few months back. I think we all knew at some point he was going to come back to Brooklyn. It's just funny to me that after all the backlash, 
all the hate that Kevin Durant gave to Brooklyn and their entire front office, they pretty much just gave him the middle finger and he ended up caving. In a world where athletes have all the power now, especially in the NBA, the front office actually won this war and somehow got the two most toxic players in the NBA to remain on the same team together in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. All that being said, this was the best case scenario for Kevin Durant in his career. I say that for two reasons. First, this saves his legacy in terms of giving up when things don't go his way. And what I mean by that is that when he doesn't win a championship, it would have been a terrible look for him to go from joining the Warriors, then to going to the Nets to prove himself, and then abandoning that ship to join the Boston Celtics, who are only a couple wins away from an NBA title. With all of this starting up, it still wasn't a good look, but it definitely saved his legacy in some form. There's no arguing that. The second point that I'm going to make is that the Brooklyn Nets, as currently constructed, is a better solution for Kevin Durant to winning a championship compared to joining the Celtics. And if you disagree with me, it's because you aren't thinking about the entire package that the Celtics would have had to haul in return for the Nets to get KD. The roster quite literally would have been Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum, two players who are ball dominant had the same style of perimeter play. It wouldn't have worked out, and I think the Celtics knew that all along. I know for a fact that the Celtics fans didn't even want to obtain Kevin Durant. They would have given up Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, multiple first-round picks. Not worth it in this case. Marcus Smart, we know, is a world-class player and a terrific defender, elite defender. But his value as a core player in this entire Boston roster, it's irreplaceable. You see that kind of same defensive value, intensity, leadership, in a guy like Draymond Green. you got to lock him up for the rest of his career and do anything you can to keep Tatum, Brown, Smart together if you want to win a championship. You're only two wins away. In terms of this year for the Nets, I think on paper, this team can go to the finals. The Brooklyn Nets, on paper, as currently constructed, can go to the finals. Absolutely. In reality, not a chance. There's way too much toxic energy going on in that organization from top to bottom. It's not even just the players. You have to feel for Steve Nash. You have both Kyrie, KD throwing you under the bus, two of the best players in the world, most talented players in the world, thinking they're better than the team. And then you have a guy in Ben Simmons who we don't even know if he's going to play another NBA game. Like, do we actually know what his status is? There is no buy-in from this team at all, none. And the biggest thing of all, they don't want to play for their coach. You aren't going past the first round with no belief in the man who is leading your team. And that is just a fact. You have to respect each other and buy into the system. I don't see it happening with the Brooklyn Nets, not with the personalities currently constructed on that roster. I think the front office knows that they made a horrific mistake. And I do believe that Kevin Durant, if he wants to win another championship, is going to have to leave the Brooklyn Nets at some point. I believe he's still locked into his contract for four more years. I don't see him staying for four more years. I think that possibly him and Kyrie could be on the move come February during the trade deadline. I think you're going to notice that this team is going to have the same struggles they had last season. They aren't going to make it far. They're a one-round playoff team. They're a first-round exit. It's not going to happen. And Kevin Durant, at his age, 
can't afford to stay there for four more years unless, of course, they bring someone in to join the team. But I don't see it happening. I think he's going to be on the move. I don't think it's going to be Boston. I've said this before. I've been on the record. I believe it's going to be someone like the Miami Heat. Something we're going to have to keep an eye on, but I don't believe that this Kevin Durant saga is over quite yet. All right, guys, to finish up the show, I brought back the betting tavern just in time for college football week one. There are so many different directions that I could go here, so many different games in this huge slate, but I'm going to give you guys my top three picks that I feel most confident in. Remember, I think this goes without saying, but make sure you are betting responsibly and only feel comfortable betting what you are willing to lose. My first pick for this weekend is also the game that I am most excited about, and that is Oregon versus Georgia in Atlanta. It's a Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Georgia is favored in this game. The spread is set at minus 17.5 for the Bulldogs. I'm going to bet the spread, and I like the Ducks to cover the 17.5 against UGA. Yes, I know the Bulldogs are a number three team in the country, but they have a lot of holes to fill on the defensive side of the ball. And I also believe they have a lot of holes to fill on the offensive side of the ball that a lot of people are not talking about. When you talk about your production last year with guys like James Cook, Jermaine Burton, George Pickens, two of those guys gone in the NFL, one of them transfers to Alabama. Stetson Bennett, lucky to have those guys. Yes, you still have Brock Bowers, arguably the best tight end in the country, probably is the best tight end in the country, might even be one of the best receivers as a whole in the country. Going up against a historically a good offensive team in the Oregon Ducks with Bo Nix at QB will not be an easy task for your first game of the season. He's reunited with his offensive coordinator from Auburn, so there's already a developed connection there. And not to mention, 17 and a half, that's a lot of points. That's two and a half scores. Setson Bennett has ability, but sometimes he struggles. Sometimes he doesn't show up to be the player that he can be on different occasions. That line is too high for an Oregon team who can make some noise this year, is going to compete for the title in the Pac-12 against teams like Utah and USC. My pick is Oregon plus 17 and a half. My second pick for you guys is another amazing game. It's a top five matchup, Notre Dame at Ohio State. Listen, don't overthink this. Notre Dame has no business being mentioned in the top five. This is not the 1980s, and it's not going to be close. Ohio State, amazing team. Love this Ohio State team this year. I like them at home with C.J. Stroud at minus 17.5. I would even feel comfortable putting them at a point higher at minus 18.5. I feel very confident about them. Make sure you snag them at this line now because I guarantee it'll raise as the kickoff approaches. Don't overthink this. Ohio State minus 17.5 is my pick. There is really that big of a gap from the number two team in the country to the number five team in the country. You think about guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba, Travion Henderson, amazing running back, not to mention they have guys on defense who have been stepping up. They have veterans on that side of the ball now. That Ohio State fan base is going to be hyped up in the horseshoe, ready to get things rolling for the season. Ohio State, minus 17.5. My final pick for you guys is another top 25 matchup. It is Arkansas and Cincinnati. 
I think that Arkansas is the biggest sleeper in the country. They'll have a great year. They're ranked 19th right now. I could see them even finishing in the top 10 in the AP poll at the season's finish when the season comes to an end. We know that Cincinnati made it to the playoffs last season, but I think that it was a fluke year for the Bearcats. They had to go undefeated, and even when they went undefeated, they still had questions and met a team in Alabama who had, quote, a down year for them and blew them out of the water in the college football playoff. I'm taking Arkansas minus six here. That line is way too low for no reason. It's only a touchdown, and plus Cincinnati defense took a hit from last year, losing guys like Sauce Gardner to the draft. Their secondary is in shambles right now. Luke Fickle is a great coach, but I got the Razorbacks rolling in this matchup. My pick is Arkansas minus six. Plus, Arkansas is going to be at home in this game. I really like the Razorbacks. I think, again, they are my dark horse to make it very far. I think they could even finish second in the SEC West standings this year. I think Alabama, I've been on the record for saying that I believe that the Texas game is going to be the hardest game for Alabama, but I'm going to change my mind. I think the game at Arkansas before the Texas A&M game for Alabama is going to be extremely extremely hard for them my pick is Arkansas minus six good luck this weekend friends make sure you guys let me know if you ride with me all right guys that is all for this episode of on the deal podcast lots of great content coming up in the future college football is back we also have NFL starting in two weeks really a week and a half with that Thursday night game Bills at Rams Thursday night football September 8th and then the First full Sunday of NFL Sunday, week one, on September 11th. We are so close, and we will be back with another episode next week.